You know, the truth is, if you look back in commodities a scant two years ago, oil was at 30 US dollars a barrel. Now it's declined through 100. Copper was at $2.40 US cents a pound. Now it's declined to 360. So when people ask me when the bull market's going to start, uh, I need to say three or four years ago. We are certainly in a hiatus, uh, and certainly people need to ask themselves a couple questions uh, about the commodity trade. I would say the questions are in order of importance. G'day, welcome back. I am Shay Russell from the editor at Exponential Investor, and joining me today is none other than commodities investing legend, although that's not the title he goes by. It is Rick Rule, investor and private speculator. Rick, how are you today? Shay, delighted to be back uh, on your show. Uh, I hope the new uh, house, so to speak, uh, the new vocation is treating you well. It is. It's been fantastic. And so far, the new audience uh, is tolerating my mispronunciation of data. So <laughs> all these little quirks between uh, the UK and Australia that I am learning. Now, we're going to kick uh, first and foremost off with something that I am very excited about personally. And that is, Rick, you owe me a cocktail. Now, tell me, how am I going to be able to get this cocktail from you in the next two weeks? Well, in, in, indeed, Shay, it's been so long since we were together that I owe you a cocktail with interest. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and you will do that, uh, as you have in the past, mercifully for both of us, by uh, attending the Natural Resource Investment Symposium. The last time you visited, of course, was in Vancouver, British Columbia, which was a wonderful place. But this year, with public ch health challenges in the United States and Canada both, we've had to relocate the conference to Boca Raton, Florida. Another nice, nice location, which, Shay, I promise you, serves cocktails. Um, <laughs> we will not be cruising Vancouver Harbor. We'll be co cruising the Intercoastal Canal. Uh, on to more serious business. Uh, of course, we would welcome any of your listeners to the, con to the uh, uh, conference. It takes place July 26th through 29th. It's worthy to note that this will be the 30th year, I believe, that we have run the conference. 27 of them previously were uh, live conferences. Two had to be virtual. This will be live uh, and virtual. The uh, attractiveness of the conference, I guess, stems from several factors. The first is that we've always done a great job uh, with big picture macro thinkers, but not the kind that you might necessarily see on, say, uh, ABC or the BBC. <laughs> Rather, the Jim Rickarts, the Doug Casey's, the David Stockman's, the Daniela DiMartino booths uh, of the investment world. But we've done more than that. In addition to shaping your big picture paradigm, uh, we have brought together the best analysts and gurus that money can buy to tell you tactically how to take advantage of the circumstances described by the big thinkers. And more importantly with that, uh, we have always had a group that I call the living legends, people who have built multi-billion dollar natural resource companies from scratch to talk about how the lessons they learned building these businesses can be useful to you uh, as an investor. And finally, Shay, uh, our exhibitors, you know, at many investment conferences, the qualification to be an exhibitor is a check that, pass that cashes for a booth. Uh, at our conference, the exhibitors have to be owned in accounts uh, that are managed by me or in my own account. Sadly, that doesn't guarantee that they go up in price, 
but it does guarantee that they have all been vetted. The consequence of all of that, uh, the appearance of Shea Russell for cocktails, uh, of, of course, most important of all, but the gurus, uh, the big picture guys, the living legends, the exhibitors, the consequence of all that is like every other investor education product that I put out in the last 30 years, this comes with a full money back guarantee. You come to the conference, you don't think your money, you got your money's worth, tell me. And I'll give you your money. I'll give you your money back. Full 100% money back guarantee. Mercifully, over 30 years, I've had to refund less than one tenth of 1% of the uh, sales proceeds. But that's always out there. All right, Rick, I'm glad you mentioned that it was um, in person as well as virtual because I do have a link that has been provided with uh, this um, interview today so people can click on the link if they wish to attend obviously it's going to be an absolute right in person so hopefully people can join us in person um, now let's kick off to things the conference is actually going to talk about and that is commodities now Rick look let's be honest commodities suck a little bit right now why would any investor want to be investing in the commodity sector as they are getting kicked down well it's interesting that you say they suck it depends on your time frame. People have been asking me, when is the commodities bull market going to start? And with regards to gold, uh, I have to say four years ago. <laughs> with regards to commodities, I have to say two years ago. Uh, it reminds me of that great American economic philosopher. What was her name? Uh, Janet Jackson. Her epic tome, What Have You Done For Me Lately? <laughs> right? Uh <laughs> Uh, people, yeah. <laughs> that's good. Yeah, maybe good. two I like cocktails. I like that. <laughs> maybe two cocktails. You know, the truth is, if you look back in commodities a scant two years ago, oil was at thirty U.S. dollars a barrel. Now it's declined through a hundred. Copper was at two dollars and forty U.S. cents a pound. Now it's declined to three sixty. So when people ask me when the bull market's going to start. Uh, I need to say three or four years ago, we are certainly in a hiatus uh, and certainly people need to ask themselves a couple questions uh, about the commodity trade. I would say the questions are in order of importance. Are we going to have a synchronized global recession that impacts commodities for a substantial period of time? The second question might be with regards to commodities equities. Will the increases in interest rates depress commodities-related stocks as they're capital-intensive and it raises their cost of capital while lowering the capitalized value of their dividends? In other words, do you get caught in a negative delta? And I guess the third question is, do you believe that the conflict in the Ukraine will end quickly and peacefully? And if so, what impact do you think that that will have on commodity supplies? I think it's very important that we go through those questions because I was taught early in my career that if you don't understand three things that can go wrong with a thesis, you don't know enough about the thesis to invest in it. So I hope I've nailed the three that should be at least in the top of people's minds. The reasons why people should be involved in commodity stocks right now is, I think, twofold. The first is, and we've talked about this on your prior shows, uh, society has been underinvesting in productive capacity around commodities for a very, very, very 
long time. Uh, the major oil fields that the world lives on today, the Cantarelles, the Goars, uh, very, very, very old fields and well, well, well past their prime. Uh, and we aren't investing enough in exploration, in project development, or in sustaining capital to maintain current production, let alone increase it. The same thing is true with regards to sulfide nickels. The same thing is true with regards to copper. The same thing is true with regards to uranium. So the reason particularly that people invest in natural resources is because the chickens will come home to roost on the supply side as a consequence of decades of underinvestment. The second reason is that governments around the world are increasingly anti-resource, which is to say that they constrain new investment, new exploration, new development, which paradoxically makes existing deposits more valuable, uh, limits competition. The third reason, and probably the most important reason, is that natural resource stocks are becoming cheap again. Uh, cheap is my favorite of all investment attributes. Uh, companies that are selling at substantial discounts to the discounted net present value of their reserves, giving you no upside whatsoever with regards to new project development or explore, uh, exploration, are pretty cheap. And they are abundant in the natural resource space. As recently as a year ago, Shay, I, regard, I remember talking to you saying, the difficulty I'm having is finding things to buy. While the seniors seem cheap, the juniors, which was my traditional uh, area of expertise, seemed and I think were uniformly overpriced. But 50 and 60 percent share price declines have fixed that problem. So we're coming into a we're coming into a circumstance now where rather than advising people to go always into the biggest and the best, I'm beginning to suggest that experienced speculators and investors begin to look at the junior side, particularly with regards to the private placements in juniors. Uh, the deck has been stacked against check writers for years with very disadvantageous private placement terms. That party's come to a screeching halt, uh, and uh, the market's beginning to favor those of us who write rather than check, uh, pardon me, cash checks. Um, you made an interesting comment there, and that does lead to something I wanted to talk about. And this is the ongoing energy crisis in Europe, but also, too, you pointed out that governments are anti-resources, which is very odd, given that all these net zero 2050 targets that they plan on meeting, which will require so many resources that they actually don't even exist in the ground yet. So how can governments be anti-resource while, the, while most of Europe is facing a crippling energy crisis? Well, I guess if you believe that government is actually there to serve and protect you, that's a val valid question. Uh, I would be surprised, given my own experience, if they did anything right ever. Uh, moving on from the editorial, however, uh, I, I think we've been through a period of about 40 years that were fairly benign, as an example, mostly peaceful. So we didn't think uh, about the, inflect, the effect of an armed conflict because we couldn't imagine an armed conflict. <laughs> Oops. Uh, in addition to that, uh, we decided, we being the big thinkers in particular, that we should rely on allegedly butterfly-friendly uh, sources of power. And so we, we made some really amazing uh, mistakes. Germany, as an example, deciding to rely on sunshine 
in the far north where the sun doesn't shine. It gave them, of course, particular problems at night, which is sunlight challenged uh, in any regard. The consequence of the Germans, as an example, shutting down their nuclear fleet uh, past uh, post, pardon me, Fukushima, has had some very interesting unintended consequences. One was increased reliance on Russian oil and gas, which appears in retrospect to perhaps have been a strategic mistake. But the other is the uh, incredible propensity for the Germans now in their effort to go green to burn coal. Not just any coal, but this really crappy lignite, the stuff that's full of sulfur and ash. So ironically, the the uh, the green, rich Germans are the farthest of any of the European powers from meeting their Kyoto Protocol pledges. <laughs> the consequence of the movement to green energy is that they're burning a ton of coal. Oh, and by the way, importing electricity in periods of need from France, which generates it from nuclear. <laughs> you couldn't make this stuff up. You know, if you're anti-government like me, uh, anything that causes them embarrassment is good, which means that I'm constantly confronted with good. Uh, in my own country, very recently, my president, uh, I use that phrase advisedly, but my president has suggested to the oil companies that after years of telling them that he was going to legislate them out of existence, that they need to invest more. That's rich. Over the last five years, Exxon has, invi has invested twice cash flow, which is to say they haven't just reinvested their earnings, but rather they've leveraged those earnings and invested twice cash flow. It's, uh, it's interesting, too, that he is saying on the one hand that they have to increase investments, while on the other hand, constraining their access to drilling sites. And beyond that, uh, warning the large financial institutions that these will be stranded assets. So on the one hand, he's trying to get the oil industry to invest more while telling anybody who will listen that it's a sunset industry, that it's going to be legislated out of existence. Finally, of course, our president complains about the price at the pump, the gas pump. Mr. Biden is either bad at arithmetic or he's bad at math or he's just full of you know what. Uh, the pump price in the United States, the average pump price, contains about seven cents per American gallon of oil industry profit and a dollar thirty-six cents worth of tax. How the president can wrap himself around that kind of arithmetic, in other words, saying that the oil companies are gouging, when he's stealing with both hands uh, all the money that the motorist might bring to the pump is amazing to me. I could go on, but I think you get my picture. I absolutely do. Now, um, while we're on the subject of uh, hotly priced commodities, I want to talk about lithium. Lithium has uh, gone through the roof in the last couple of uh, years. I think at one point it was up 500%, uh, so much so that Rio Tinto, that massive mining company, has invested billions upon billions of dollars into expanding their lithium, and actually they've ditched coal, which I find quite interesting. Tell me, have they have they been suckered into a hype cycle? Because you and I have had previous chats before about how there's actually plenty of lithium floating around, just they're not all project ready. And I'm pretty sure you even once made a comment about you had to pay people to get, or miners had to pay people to get rid of the stuff. So has the future changed for lithium? 
oil and gas people and geothermal developers have had to pay to remove lithium scale for years and years and years. In fact, in certain industries, it is a waste. I have been amazed at the rapidity of the demand increase for lithium. There is no shortage and can never be a shortage of elemental lithium. There's just lots and lots and lots. What there is, is a shortage of productive capacity to turn that raw lithium, either brine lithium or hard rock lithium, into a finished chemical product. Uh, I suspect that given uh, Rio Tinto's very long time frames, that they'll do well in the lithium business. I'm not sure they'll do well in the lithium business in the three to five year time frame, because I think at some point in time we solve this uh, infrastructure de-bottleneck but I think they'll do fine over time. With regards to Rio de-emphasizing coal, uh, I, I guess that that really is a function of the stupidity of the institutional investor, which has asked them to do that. Uh, if you're a mining company, you usually mine what you can sell. And the largest uh, sales year record that coal ever enjoyed was 2021. It will soon be the second largest coal sales year after 2022. While the big thinkers hector us about coal, and I'm not suggesting that we pour any more crap into the atmosphere than we need to, there are people around the world who have this odd habit of expecting the lights to come on when they flip a switch. And for most of the world, that requires coal. The same big thinkers who have been pressuring Rio Tinto need to consider something else, Shay. And that is this, 1.2 billion people on Earth have no access to electricity. They would prefer to live like you and I do. And the big thinkers need to ask themselves whether they have that right. Another 2 billion people on Earth uh, enjoy, if that's the right phrase, uh, either unaffordable electricity or intermittent electricity, which is to say that 3 billion people on Earth experience energy poverty. All of those people would prefer to live like you and I. Uh, and we've done a wonderful job over the last 40 years in lifting the poorest of the poor around the world from abject poverty to just being very, very, very poor. My suspicion is that we can bring everybody in the world to the point where they have access to affordable electricity over 30 years if we invest sufficiently to do that. But we won't be able to do it without utilizing every source of energy available to us. Solar, of course. Wind, why not? Hydro, yeah. Nuclear, yeah. And whether you like it or not, coal. Coal is the cheapest form of baseload power relative to the capital cost to establish the plant and relative to the running cost of the plant. Well, Uranium's cheaper with regards to the running cost, but coal probably has the cheapest levelized price of electricity worldwide. So while, as an example, the Chinese are ramping up their capacity with regards to all types of energy, they're building coal plants like mad, uh, as are the Indians, as are anybody who can afford to add baseload power. What Rio did contrasts fairly sharply with what Glencore did, where they bought out minority partners in a thermal coal asset, 35-year reserve, for one and a half times cash flow. <laughs> you can tell who I think got the better of that trade. <laughs> yes. All right, finally, uh, well, I've got two more questions for today. First and foremost, uh, as somebody who is, uh, I'm currently broadening my horizons from precious metals to the entire commodities market, which is to say I've bought 
a bucket load of books lately. There is always a new delivery at my door. However, if you are just getting started in investing, because everybody's got to start somewhere, what are the top four books you recommend for people to start with? Great question. I, I love to read, as you know, Shay. Uh, the book that you start with, I think, uh, is a book called Economics in One Lesson by Hazlitt. Uh, a small book, which is great. It's quick to read and it's easy to read. And it tells you how the world works, uh, not how the big thinkers think it should work, and certainly not how that moronic economics prof in first year university misled you. This is a book about economics as it is, rather than economics the way Greta Thornburg wishes it was. The uh, second book uh, is The Intelligent Investor by Ben Graham. Very simply put, the best investment book ever written relative to the effort required to read it, because it's easy. (laughs) The next book is simply the best investment book ever written, and that's Securities Analysis, uh, also by Ben Graham. Uh, if you read securities analysis and if you apply the techniques that are contained in there, you will get rich. It's as simple as that. You will get rich. Maybe not rich, rich quick, but you will get rich. The point is, however, don't just buy the book. You got to read it. And then having read it, you got to act on it. The final uh, is the most impactful book of my life. Uh, Human Action by Ludwig von Mises. Wonderful cure for insomnia. Uh, but it talks uh, about volition. It talks about incentive. It talks about uh, how people are willing to invest in themselves and what's important to them and how a whole bunch of individual decisions makes a group decision. Uh, It's the best discussion of volition, uh, individual will uh, that I've ever read. Two more that I think people might do well to study. One is, of course, the classic uh, Anti-Fragile by Taleb, uh, which is as good a discussion of contrarianism as I've ever read. And his much more recent Skin in the Game, I just got done reading. Uh, Skin in the Game is very useful for stock market investors if you own a company where management doesn't own a lot of stock. Hint, sell it. Uh, Skin in the Game is all about commitment. Uh, believing in what you do, going all in. So there's six for the price of four, Shay. That is fantastic. I don't have two of them, so I will be getting those delivered sometime next week. Now, before we wrap up for today, tell me, are you still making that offer to rate people's portfolios? I absolutely am, and I've expanded the offer in retirement. Uh, Oh, right. As you know, I've I've flunked retirement, Shay, but let's get back to the offer. (laughs) You're not doing Uh, it very well, I can assure you. On my site, Rural Investment Media, if you go there, ruralinvestmentmedia.com, if you enter your natural resource stocks, uh, I will rank them one to 10, one being best, 10 being worst. I will comment on individual issues if I think my comments might have value. In addition to that, uh, since I'm no longer a broker, uh, I can tell you about individual companies that I'm investing in on the private placement side. It used to be I couldn't do that because the government called it solicitation, but I'm not soliciting because I don't get commissions. So if you care, if you're an accredited investor and you care about what private placements I'm participating in, in the question and comment section uh, on the rankings database, write placements. And finally, Shay, in retirement, as I think you know, uh, I'm helping some guys start a new bank. Uh, The last one was a lot of fun and a huge success. 
So if you're dissatisfied with your current banking relationships, which I suggest probably everybody listening to this is, uh, if you want to be involved in a bank as a depositor or a borrower, or for that matter, an investor, a real bank, an old-fashioned bank, uh, a bank that pays fair interest rates on deposit, a bank that has money, uh, a bank without excessive derivatives exposure, a bank that lends money to good people against good collateral who will pay it back, uh, on the same form, uh, write bank in the question and comment section, and we will give you more information for the bank. We're hoping to get our charter sometime the end of this year, and we'll be in business again. Wonderful way to retire. <laughs> yes. I think you've quite missed the meaning of retirement, but that's okay. All right, Rick, we are almost, we're down to the last 60 seconds of our time today. I want to say thank you so much for being here. It's wonderful to introduce you to the UK audience, and I look forward to seeing you in two weeks. Well, great to have you back in the Agora fold, among others, Shay, and I look forward to, uh, with interest, uh, paying you the cocktail plural that I owe you. <laughs> Absolutely. Thanks, Rick.